when I started my advocacy, the Cuomo administration would say, well, she's just the weather lady. She doesn't know what she's talking about, right? But a weather forecast can change the world. This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, January 17th. I'm Virginia Allen. And that was Fox News meteorologist Janice Dean discussing her new book, I Am the Storm. Not long after the pandemic began, Dean lost both her in-laws to COVID-19. They had been staying in nursing homes in New York. Months later, Dean would discover that it was likely the actions of then New York Governor Andrew Cuomo that led to her family members' deaths. Dean says it was not that Cuomo issued an ignorant order to send the COVID-positive elderly back to nursing homes that troubled her, but that Cuomo intentionally tried to cover up and lie about his actions. Instead of losing herself in grief, Dean turned her anger into a mission to expose Cuomo's actions. In her new book, I Am the Storm, Janice Dean tells her story of taking down one of the most powerful men in New York. She also shares the stories of more than a dozen other men and women who have turned their hardship into an opportunity for good. Dean joins me on the show today to share these stories of grit and determination. Stay tuned for our conversation after this. As conservatives, sometimes it feels like we're constantly on defense against bad ideas, bad philosophy, revisionist history, junk science, and divisive politics. But here's something I've come to understand. When faced with bad ideas, it's not enough to just defend. If we want to save this country, then it's time to go on offense. Conservative principles are ideas that work. Individual responsibility, strong local communities, and belief in the American dream. As a former college professor and current president of the Heritage Foundation, my life's mission is to learn, educate, and take action. My podcast, The Kevin Roberts Show, is my opportunity to share that journey with you. I'll be diving into the critical issues that plague our nation, having deep conversations with high-profile guests, some of whom may surprise you. And I want to ensure freedom for the next generation. Find The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get your podcasts. It is my pleasure today to welcome to the show Fox News meteorologist and New York Times bestselling author Janice Dean to talk about her new book, I am the storm. Janice, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, listen, I appreciate this. Uh, Thank you for having me. Well, I am such a fan of your new book. I think it's a rarity these days to read a book where you put it down and you genuinely feel encouraged. But I can attest that that is true about your new book, I Am the Storm. It's full of your own stories, the stories of amazing individuals who have overcome incredible challenges and really taken those hard things in life to say, you know what, I'm going to use that pain for a bigger purpose. So, Janice, when you think about that phrase, I am the storm, what exactly does that mean? Well, it comes from the poem, uh, you know, that fate whispers to the warrior and says, you're not strong enough to withstand the storm. And the warrior whispers back, I am the storm. So that's where it comes from. I've always loved that, you know, that I don't know if poem is the right word or expression. We don't know where that comes from. I actually don't know the author of that, but it's been around for a long time. And so when I was trying to come up uh, with a title for the book, 
that kind of came to mind. And I, I saw it on social media a lot when we were locked down in the pandemic. You know, it's one of those things um, where we all kind of felt helpless sometimes. But because we were all locked up and, and, and in some cases seeing injustices being done, that's when we, you know, felt that inner storm within us to want to do something, to protect our kids, to protect our family, to stand up for what was right, even if people were telling us to not speak out. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's exactly what you did during COVID in the midst of the pandemic. Take us back, if you would, to 2020 and share a little bit of your own story, your family's story, and what happened to your in-laws. Right. So uh, in the spring of 2020, we were all in lockdown. We were told not to go outside, stay away from the virus. Um, our My in-laws, my husband's uh, mom and father, were in separate elder care facilities, and they weren't in there for very long. His his father, Mickey, had a lot of health challenges. He had dementia, and he, and he had some uh, things that needed to, to be fixed before we could get him to an assisted living residence to be with his wife, Dee. Now, they lived in a four-story walk-up for, for most of their marriage, almost 60 years, and their health was failing them. Uh, so, you know, we talked to um, fa- fellow family members, as well as his mom, Dee, about trying to get them to a safe place where we could visit them and and they wouldn't have to climb the stairs, you know, to try to get to and from places. Uh, And she was having a hard time taking care of her husband as well. She had back issues. At any rate, we were trying to take the best care uh, that we could of both of them trying to get Mickey in better health to join Dee in her assisted living residence, which was close to us on Long Island. It wasn't long that they were in there before COVID crashed into our lives. I mean, we hadn't even packed up their apartment in Brooklyn. Um, And we couldn't see them. You know, we were getting very few updates on what was going on with them. Mickey was, we thought was doing well, uh, and we thought was being protected because we were all told to stay away from one another. And we got a call on a Saturday morning saying that he wasn't feeling well. And three hours later, he was dead. And we didn't even know he had died of COVID until we saw the death certificate. His his mom, uh, you know, my husband had to call her and tell her that her husband of almost 60 years had died in her, his nursing home. She got sick two weeks later, was transported to the hospital where she was diagnosed with COVID, and she died in the hospital. Um, it was a terrible time. Obviously, we couldn't see them. We couldn't have funerals. I prayed every night that they had an attendant that held their hand as they took their last breath. Um, and so we were obviously in shock, but we were trying to do what the government was telling us to do. And when I found out that our former governor was essentially seeding nursing homes with COVID, that's when I, you know, that inner storm really came out in me. I was finding out things uh, that we were never told as families, that over 9,000 infected patients were being put into New York elder care facilities. That's outrageous. Uh, That's taking away their right to life. And because family members weren't told, you know, that was that was a big deal. But then finding out that he was trying to skew the numbers uh, by at least 50 percent, you know, not counting those that died in the hospital, like my my mother-in-law. When I started seeing these stories, you know, not being um, out there in the mainstream media, instead, he's being talked about as a presidential candidate and going on his brother's show on CNN and talking about who their, their mom, lo- which brother the mom loved the most, instead of talking about 
our families who are dying by the thousands here in New York. So that's kind of how this fire, this storm inside of me began. And that's when I started to speak out about what I believe was grave injustices. Yeah. Early on in that process of choosing to speak out, when you knew that Governor Cuomo had had issued that order that was allowing the elderly who were sick to return back into nursing homes, um, which is believed to have caused that mass spread of COVID across nursing homes in New York and infect so many and take so many lives. And you decided, okay, I'm going to start sharing what is really going on. You went on Tucker Carlson and you, you were sort of waiting for that response from the media, for someone to hold Governor Cuomo accountable. Do you remember kind of what you were thinking in in the midst of that process? And as you know, you, you walked away from being on Tucker Carlson, were you expecting, okay, now there will be real accountability? No, um, it took a long time. And I remember when, uh, you know, my grief really turned to anger, and that was seeing uh, Andrew Cuomo, the Cuomo brothers on CNN, joking around, you know, when thousands of people were dying, when, you know, nursing home um, nurses were wearing garbage bags instead of PPE, you know, wearing the same mask day in and day out without, you know, being able to change it. I mean, it was just gross negligence, just unbelievable. And the fact that we were all locked away and weren't able to, to see our loved ones or have proper funerals. Um, it took weeks. It really took a really long time uh, for reporters to start ask, asking the questions. The moment that it kind of shifted is when the women started coming forward, talking about abuse uh, at the hands of, of him. You know, not only did he, he write the mandate to put COVID positive patients in a nursing homes, but he was also using those hands all over some of his, you know, people that worked with him. So women started coming out uh, and talking about uh, abusive work environments, working with him. And I think had that not happened, I'm not sure uh, that the media would have really grabbed onto the story, to be quite honest with you. I, I think it was, it was those brave women that came forward and, and started talking about you know, their abuse in the workplace with him, that, that people started to pay attention. And, you know, the, the shifting of the narrative of not so much maybe a presidential candidate anymore. Um, you know, they, they even gave the guy an Emmy Award for, you know, some of his, 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 um, his fireside chats, you know, during COVID when he was on TV every single day, um, talking about what, was, what New York was doing during the response. And before those women came forward and, and spoke out and you know things really started to to crumble for former Governor Andrew Cuomo. You were know, one of the few voices that were still persisting. Why did you keep persisting? Why is you say in your own words, did this become almost an obsession for you that you were going to speak the truth even if no one else would? It's knowing the truth is on your side and knowing the angels were on my side. And I was not just speaking for myself. I was speaking on behalf of thousands of families. I was meeting these families, you know, as we were going out to rallies and, and trying to raise awareness with not only the New York press, but the national press as well. Uh, it was it was it was almost a madness that takes over you. You know, my husband was worried. I had people telling me, watch your back. You know, I had people that knew the Cuomo family very well and saying they're vindictive and, they're, and they're, they'll come after you. But I just knew, you know, that this was important. And I think throughout the book, I find people that kind of have that same passion, that same storm within them, knowing that 
What they're doing is really important, even if it is up against a tremendous Goliath like uh, a dynasty politician, uh, Andrew Cuomo. Um, it's really about knowing that you have something that's more powerful than them. And that is, for me, it was the truth of finding out what was happening here in New York and speaking on behalf of those angels that didn't have a voice anymore. Yeah. When news broke that uh, that Governor Andrew Cuomo was stepping down, that he was resigning, do you remember what you felt in that moment? I couldn't believe it. I, I do remember watching on television, and I noticed his tone was changing. Uh, and I remember... I. I went on social media, right? I was watching it on television. Then I was also looking at, you know, Twitter as to what was happening in real time. And when he started, you know, really sort of going in the direction of what I couldn't believe was he was going to resign that day, it was, I was dumbfounded because here's a guy that kept saying, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I, you know, what was his quote, a New York tough, you know, I'm New York tough. You know, here's somebody that was revered. Here was somebody that was talked about as being, you know, uh, somebody that might run for president one day. And finally, he's saying that he is going to resign this post, uh, that it was really quite an incredible moment. Um, I think he did regret it. I think he was, you know, given advice that he, he didn't want. You know, he's still trying to make a comeback. Um, but uh, it was quite an incredible moment uh, to see him finally resigning after months and months of people fawning over him and, you know, interviews uh, saying, you know, what a great job he was doing. And one of the, the greatest governors in the state of New York, you know, it was quite a downfall. It, it, it truly was something. Yeah. Well, and the stories that, that you tell of other individuals in your book, I Am the Storm, you start off with your story, and then you share other stories of people that have decided in a very similar way, I am going to take on someone or something that is powerful, bigger than me, and I'm going to fight on this issue. And I know one of the stories that I was really touched by and blown away by um, is that of, uh, of a woman named Shelley. Elkington. Do you mind um, telling a little bit of Shelley's story? Shelley is the is the story that opens the book. Um, she is an incredible woman uh, who lost uh, her daughter um, after her daughter struggled for many years with opioids. Um, she had a chronic illness and uh, you know was prescribed these powerful drugs, thinking that they were going to help her instead of you know make her addicted. Um, and she lost her daughter uh, several years ago, but made it her mission to try to make sure that this never happens to another family. She took her grief and made it into powerful advocacy. Um, you know, our interview together, you know, she brought me to tears many times, but I identified her with her so much because she would just get in her car uh, and 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 drive in a snowstorm to you know to to rallies uh, to make people aware of the opioid crisis here in the United States, um, and so and she did it before uh, you know the 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 miniseries Dope Sick. You know I think a lot of us are are aware of the opioid crisis now because of that wonderful um, series that's on Hulu that I highly recommend. Um, to people to to really understand how the opioid crisis began and and and, and its power over people and doctors um, and lobbyists. 
Um, and she just, she was one mom that had a mission to try to make sure this didn't happen to another family. Um, and, and, and so that spoke to me, right? Just a woman who had tragedy and she's just trying to do better for others. It's, it's really, it's really incredible. She's an incredible lady. It is incredible. It's absolutely amazing to read. And you tell more than a dozen other stories like that of people amidst the craziness of life and amidst the hardship, putting a stake in the ground and fighting. Is there one story in particular? I'm sure it's very hard to pick one, but is there one in particular that you still kind of carry with you and maybe think about every day that so spoke to you? I think about my friend Ray Pfeiffer every day. Uh, he is uh, the firefighter who was sick with 9-11 related cancer and still went to Washington, D.C. when he was dying to make sure that his fellow first responders and firefighters got health care, the health care that they needed um, after breathing in those toxic, toxic fumes for weeks and months trying to, to dig up find the remains of, of his fellow firefighters. You know, we lost Ray many years ago, um, but his spirit of going in his wheelchair and banging on doors of lawmakers in Washington, D.C. Uh, to do that for other people. I think of, you know, what I do and what I'm trying to do and thinking about what he did um, when he was really like his sickest, uh, you know, still still trying to ch make a change for others, for the betterment of people. That stays with me because I, I knew Ray well. But, you know, there are, there are other incredible stories. You know, I, there, there's a, a gymnast who's a coach now who went through abuse as, as a young gymnast. And, and, and she talks about, you know, the coach that was terrible to her and how she's a coach now today to try to change how to, how to um, you know, uh, to change the world and how she, you know, um, coaches her young girls that were her age when she was abused uh, as a gymnast. There are so many incredible stories, Virginia. It's hard to pick which one, yeah. but but people I think... have to just read the book. They have to read the book to hear <laughs> to hear them all. <laughs> it's true, but the one common thread I will say is that there is a resilience, there is a hope. You have to be an optimistic person to. To, to continue the advocacy that you do, that, that you think that you're going to make a difference, even when maybe other people don't. Yeah. Do you think that that is, is maybe the key element that all of the individuals that you write about in the book, many of whom you had the privilege of sitting down and talking with, is that what they all have in common, that, that they're able to, to see a silver lining? I think so. I think we're all optimistic people in the book, despite the challenges. I think you have to. A lot of these stories come from incredible grief, right? I think that's something that is a common thread through a lot of this. Uh, you've gone through a challenge, you've gone through a storm, but that makes you even stronger in the end because the sun will always come out. I think that's, you know, that's the main reason we do what we do is because the storm will always pass. We know that. And hopefully we can build a, a bigger, better foundation to stand on. Um, but I think the other main takeaway is you find other people in, in your advocacy. You find other people who will stand with you. Even if you stand alone at the very beginning, if you have truth on your side, uh, if, you're, if your cause is a righteous one, you will always find people that will stand with you in battle. And what what ultimately is the hope for, for folks who are reading the book and, you know, maybe they've experienced 
in insane challenges. They they might be in the middle of a really hard situation and looking for hope. What do you want them to walk away from I Am The Storm with? I think one person really can change the world. Uh, sometimes it takes a lifetime to see that change. Maybe you never see it in your lifetime. But if you believe in something and if you believe that what you're doing is important and can help others, that's always going to carry you forward. And I think the people that you find uh, on the battlefield with you uh, during the storm, uh, you know, there is strength in numbers. And, you know, even though all, all of the chapters and the people are maybe doing different things, we're all very similar in, in our main goal, right? And that is to um, try to change something for the betterment of others, uh, to try to make the, the world a better place, uh, even if we won't be able to see that change in our lifetime. Well, I, I was so interested that, you know, you choose to tell stories in the book of individuals who are still in the middle of the fight, that things have not gotten all better yet. There hasn't been resolve, and yet they're still choosing months, years later to keep saying yes. And that kind of persistence, I think, uh, is really it's always inspirational, but I think especially uh, in this time, in this day and age, to hear of, okay, you know, what do we do when things uh, keep on being challenging and the difficulties keep coming to have that inspiration to keep pushing forward is so necessary. Absolutely. I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, right? We're still there. We're still seeing the, the illness, uh, seeing it kill people. Um, but there's always hope. There's always that, you know, sunny side of the storm. The rainbow does come out and um, you have to remain hopeful. You know, I talk about this woman, uh, her name is um, Maureen Sweeney, who uh, basically was the woman who helped deliver the forecast for our, our allies to go in on D-Day, right? So Maureen uh, Sweeney was a young woman uh, who got a job at a lighthouse uh, at the post office there. And one of her jobs was to gather weather information uh, each day uh, to, uh, basically she didn't know at the time, but that weather information uh, was used to plan the D-Day invasion. We were, uh, Allied forces were supposed to go in on June 5th. Uh, they went, on, went in on the 6th because Maureen Sweeney's information told them that there was gonna be a small window of opportunity for uh, those forces to go into Normandy. Uh, it's a story that I wasn't aware of. I knew the meteorology part of it uh, that really changed the trajectory of that, uh, of that day and, and the war ahead. Um, but she was the one that delivered the information and she really didn't know the magnitude of that reporting, her weather forecasting, until decades later. And I talked mm -hmm. to her son, Vincent, in the book. Um, and, and, you know, how important that forecast was uh, and, and, and how she dealt with them when she realized the, the enormity of that forecast. Um, and, and so that tells you that her, that one woman really changed the trajectory of the world. And it's an important story to tell, Virginia, because when I started my advocacy, the Cuomo administration would say, well, she's just the weather lady. She doesn't know what she's talking about, right? But 
a weather forecast can change the world, you know? And so I think it's important that sometimes you don't know the importance of what you're doing at the time. And sometimes it takes decades to really find out the history of the decision that you made at one moment. And that woman changed the world and she needs, we need to recognize that. You know, and there are many Maureen Sweeney's out there. She's going to turn 100 years old uh, this year. Uh, and so it's really an incredible story. And, you know, the thing that brings it back full circle, Virginia, is when I talked to her son, Vincent, who still works at the Lighthouse in Ireland, by the way, he said the reason he did the interview is because his sister, Maureen's daughter, works at a nursing home in upstate New York and knew my family's story and said, you have to talk to Janice Dean. And that just tells you something. I believe that we're all connected. I really do. Amen. I know that Maureen's story was certainly one of my favorites yeah. in the book because it's it's so inspirational and mm -hmm. incredible to see someone saying yes, just in, in their day-to-day -day job. Yes. She didn't realize what that impact of just that simple, I will do my job well today, what that would mean for so many lives. Well, for anyone who needs a little bit of hope, a little bit of encouragement, and a little bit of inspiration, pick up your copy of I Am the Storm today. You can get it wherever books are sold. Janice, thank you for your time. We truly appreciate you joining us. Ah, oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for today's episode. Again, if you are interested in getting your own copy of Janice Dean's new book, I Am the Storm, pick it up wherever books are sold. It is out today. But thank you all so much again for listening, for joining us today on the Daily Signal podcast. If you haven't had the chance, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed where we bring you the top news of the day. And make sure to subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We love hearing your feedback, and it really helps us continue to grow and spread the word to more listeners. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. And we'll see you right back here at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.